0: about time. I'm about due for my, my yearly preaching. And yes, I looked at my fake risk calendar to determine that. But what I want to talk to about tonight, I don't even know if I need to talk about it because uh, we really just experienced it. And I, if, if any place has a problem with worship, this is not it. <laughs> but as the worship director, that's something that I really, really enjoy. In fact, I rarely get to enjoy the service like I did tonight. I'm usually back there running sound or I'm up here playing. So this was just, man, incredible for me tonight. Not only was it just nice to be a part of the service, but, man, it, they, they rocked it out today. They blew it out. It was really good. So tonight I want to talk about worship. Uh, I want to talk about just kind of the scripture about spirit and truth. And then I want to give you some of my tips about how are some of the ways that I kind of engage in worship but let me start with just kind of talking a little bit about my family history, and I know we're running late, so I'm going to try to figure out what to skip and what not to skip. But uh, basically, I come from a long line of, of musicians and worship leaders. My dad was actually a worship leader, and um, he, according to my mom, was very anointed, very powerful worship leader. He had, he had some demons he didn't quite wrestle down ever, and that kept him, I think, from really realizing his potential, uh, but I found out at his funeral when he died that that I have a long history of of musicians and preachers and spirit-filled believers. And I was blown away because the uh, other side of my dad's family is is, they're not saints. So it was really cool to find that out and just kind of find out the history I have in in worship and in music. So I really feel like like this is where God called me. But worship also has become really important to me because when I came back to the Lord at uh, 19, I enjoyed preaching, and preaching is good. I'm doing it now. But, um, but one thing I, that I really enjoyed and, and connected with the Lord more than any other place was in worship. My heart was touched by the presence of God in worship more than any ever, other sermon could ever do. And it's because, I, because when I lavished my love on him, he'd come and he'd lavish his love on me. And so that's why, that's one of the reasons that, actually, that's actually why I became a worship leader uh, back in, when I was 19 I said, uh, after I was getting touched by the the Holy Spirit in that setting, I said, I have got to do this with my life. I've got to show other people what this is like because this is awesome. And so my goal as a worship leader has been to create that experience and bring heaven to earth uh, so that other people would experience what I experienced. So that's kind of a little of the backstory about me and and actually the story about how I got connected with this house and and became the worship director is a whole other story. It's a really cool prophetic story. Maybe I'll tell another time. Um, but I know the Bible talks a lot about uh, different types of worship. In fact, um, Romans 12 says, offer your whole selves up as a living sacrifice, and this is, a, this is acceptable worship. So I realize that there are other forms of worship, but I really want to focus on what we consider corporate worship or worship with music or you know, songs, singing, that kind of thing, what we all recognize as the act of worship. So that's kind of where we're going to focus tonight. So Just how important is worship to God? The quote by Sam Brassfield, who's a prophet, he says, if it's not all about worship, why was Satan willing to give up everything for just a moment of it in the wilderness? I think that's a powerful statement. It was also the very first and second commandment in the Ten Commandments that Moses brought down, uh, played by, uh, what's that guy's name? Charles Hessen. that's what I always think of, him in a white beard. Anyway, the first one, you guys know, you shall have no other gods. Second one is no idols. He says, I'm a jealous God. Don't bow down before any other thing. So obviously right away we see it's pretty important because back in the beginning, that was the first thing and the second thing, and then there was eight other things. But those were the first. Also, as you read through the Old Testament, you see time and time again that typically Israel was either judged or blessed based on what they worshipped. You can see it in Isaiah, you can see it in Jeremiah, you can see it all throughout the scripture. They were either worshiping God and flourishing, or they were carving something, making something. I mean, after the Ten Commandments, he's up on the mountain having this experience with God. He comes down, and they're already worshiping something. He hadn't even had a chance to give him the commandment yet, and they've already made a golden calf. So the competition in our lives, and, and historically throughout time, has been to steal your worship. In Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar, through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire because they would not bow down. And Daniel, for the same reason, in the lion's den. So there's always been an attack. And if it's that important, why do you think there's always been that struggle? In Revelation, we also see that God could... It got, it, I love Revelation because yeah. it talks... You get to see a picture. <laughs> yeah, I know you do, Eschabology. <laughs> You get to see a picture of what worship's like in heaven. And if there's any other place that we want to copy, it's that. Because that's what we're called to do. Like I said, we're called to bring heaven down to earth. What's going on there needs to happen here. And, and God, the creator of the universe, all omnipotent, he could surround himself with anything. He could surround himself with pizza. He could surround himself with fill in the blank, whatever. But what he chooses to surround himself with is worship, and specifically songs, instruments, singing. If that's not a good picture of why worship is important, then I, I rest my case. There's nothing else. Gabe Allred, he's the worship director at CFNI, says this on his Twitter account. What I worship, I give my value. What I give my value, I give my authority. What I give my authority, I make my Lord. And you really go back to the wilderness, and that's what it was all about. See, man gave authority back to Satan through sin. Adam and Eve had all the authority. They gave it up. Jesus, through a sinless life, came back and stole it back. And now he's offering it to us. So worship is all about what you make your Lord. In fact, worship is eternal. It's the only thing that we'll be doing forever and ever and ever. You don't like it down here? I've got bad news for you. You're going to be doing it forever, forever. Have y'all ever thought about eternity in those terms? Like it just blows your mind forever and ever. Like a million years. You try to think a million years, another million years. It just it blows my mind. Um, so that's what we're going to be doing for a very long time. It's eternal. First um, Corinthians talks about prophecy. Prophecy is going to cease. Knowledge is going to cease. But what doesn't cease? What never fails? And what is worship? Worship is the expression of love. It's simply love expressed. So that's what we're going to be doing for eternity, forever. So I actually wanted to kind of hit a whole bunch of topics tonight. I wanted to talk about warfare and worship. That's a really fun topic. I wanted to talk about the power of unity in worship. But really, I got to John 4, and that's as far as I got. So spirit and truth is, is all we're doing tonight, and I'm going to try to do it fast. So I want to summarize kind of the beginning of of John 4. You guys all know it, right? Uh, It's the Samaritan at the well. Basically, Jesus is coming through town. It's hot. He's thirsty. So he goes to the well, and his disciples run into town to get some food. So he's kind of just chilling by the well. And a Samaritan woman walks up, and he says, hey, can you give me a drink? First of all, Jesus just totally went against culture right then and there because he talked to a woman and on top of that, she was a Samaritan woman. Um, so he, she says, "Why do you ask me for a drink?" Um, am I getting that right? Yeah. Let me turn I'm just going to open up Yeah, she's, she's saying, "You're a Jew. I'm a, I'm a Samaritan. How could you ask me for a drink?" And he says, "I love his response." Little, it sounds a little cocky, but it's not. It's but he says, if you knew the gift of God that was standing before you, I mean, that's truth, right? Um, he says, you'd be asking me for a drink. And she says, I, that doesn't make any sense. You don't even have a bucket. How are you, how you going to get water? And then he talks about, you know, if you, if you have the, the water that I give you, you'll never thirst again. She's like, where can I find that? That sounds good. I'm really tired of coming back and forth to this well, carrying these heavy buckets of water in this burning heat. <clears throat> so, um, he says, I, he doesn't even answer a question, really. Um, at, what I love is he goes into this prophetic word, uh, and he says, go call your husband and come back, all the while knowing she didn't have a husband. He's, Jesus is setting her up, right? He says, I have no husband. He says, you're right, you don't. You've had five, and the guy that you're with now is not even your husband. Which I think is kind of funny because uh, he's kind of calling her out, right? He's kind of calling out some sin through word of knowledge. But of course, Jesus never does it in, in condemnation. He does it in love, uh, and there was a purpose in it. She was so amazed. She goes, "Whoa, hold on! You're a prophet. I, I recognize that you're a prophet." And what I really love about this this passage is she deflects, does she not? She's embarrassed about. Her. She's just she just got called out, and She kind of deflects and says, uh, let's read it in verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, the time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. So there's a couple things going on in here that I want to talk about. Um, we know that she obviously knew Jesus was a prophet, and we see that she deflected the question uh, about her husband. She immediately, and this this was a popular uh was a big source of contention uh, between Samaritans and Jews. And I didn't know this. Maybe you guys already knew. I thought, I thought Samaritans were like Canadians. I mean, I, <laughs> that's not a slam on Canadians. If there's any Canadians in here, it's really not. I just thought it was a different country. I thought it was a totally different place. I didn't understand the, the historical context of Samaritans and Jews. And so when I, when I started studying this, I actually found, did you guys already know? Maybe you already know this. Maybe I'm the last one. But um The Samaritans were actually uh, worshiping the same God. They were uh, a part of the Jewish lineage. So I found that kind of interesting because Jesus says, you worship what you do not know. Matter of fact, the Samaritans used the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Leviticus, Uh, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. (laughs) I didn't forget. I was just pronouncing Leviticus properly. (laughs) I love it, the kiss. Um, so they actually use the same five books of the Bible. They worship the same God. It was not some foreign God, it was the God of Israel. It was the Jewish God. And I found this kind of interesting because Jesus says, You worship what you do not know. Why did Jesus say that? It was the same God. That kind of that kind of got me thinking. And there what I found out is there's some differences between the Torah and what they call the Pentateuch, the Samaritan Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. Um, some of them were grammatical errors. Some of them were just misspellings and words, but there was a few uh, major differences. One of them was this. The Samaritans believed that Mount Gerizim was the place of worship. That's where God was to be worshipped. However, the Jews did not, did not believe that. And uh, the Samaritans actually had some really good arguments for why they thought that. I'll run through a few. The Samaritans thought that paradise was on the summit of Gerizim, that Adam was formed of the dust of Mount Gerizim, that Adam built his first altar there, Seth built his first altar there, that that was actually the mountain that the ark came to rest on. Therefore, it was never flooded. Therefore, it never was defiled with death. Noah built his altar. Abraham attempted to uh, sacrifice Isaac. He met Melchizedek there. And this is where the real Bethel was, where Jacob had his uh, vision of the ladder. And lastly, I think one of, the, one of the best examples of what we do today is, she, the best reason is, she says, and, because our fathers did it. Um, so they had some really, they had tradition. They had, you know, and, and that we do that a lot of times. Why do we worship the way we do? Or why do we do what we do? Well, that's just what we've always done. That's just what tradition has dictated to us. And this is the same response that she has. This is what our fathers did. It's got to be right because this is what we've always done. However, the location for uh, for worship for the Jews was based on prophecy and it was according to Scripture. The place that God selected for worship was a place called Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. Now, this seems like a minor difference, but you got to understand the Old Testament was different. The Old Covenant was, was, this is the letter of the law and you get stoned if you don't do it. Uh, So it was a little bit different. And so Jesus is actually addressing some of these differences in their Scripture. And he's saying, you don't really know who God is. If you did, you wouldn't be worshiping there. You would be worshiping here. But something else that's even cool, cooler about that is Jesus is about to change. He's about to flip the script on all that anyway. So I believe that when Jesus is talking about the spirit and truth, I've always, have y'all ever really dissected what that means, spirit and truth? I've, oh, Because I've always, you know, I've got a pretty good idea of what I thought it means, and um, but I've never really studied it out, so I studied it out, and it really kind of just means what I thought it means. But... <laughs> but I want to talk about it a little bit more in depth. Um, So I I believe that based on what Jesus was saying to this woman, that when he's referring to truth, he's referring to knowing who Christ is through the word. Now, I've got a little example. If I had a friend set me up with a girl that I'd never met, but I was interested in, I would probably want to find out everything I could about her. i want to find out her personality. I'd want to find out... Um, what she likes, and, and how, if she does, she love the Lord? Is she pursuing God? You know, we call that Facebook stalking now. But um, <laughs> I would also, it, you know, I just want to find out as much as I could. I would want to learn about her. Um, I've also heard that um, online dating is the same way. The, more, the people that put out the most uh, content or whatever on the profile get the most success. I've heard that. Um <laughs> So there really is something to learning about somebody and knowing about somebody. I I believe um, that Jesus was made flesh, uh, the word was made flesh through Christ. This is the Logos word. You guys have heard Logos verse Rhema. Um, So Logos is actually getting to know him. So getting to know him through the scriptures and finding out the truth about who God is allows us, gives us a better perspective to worship him in truth. So... um, I just think it's important for us to know. In fact, Levites were required to memorize the whole Bible before they were put into service. Um, they had to know the scripture backwards and forwards because they were releasing, 24 hours a day in David's temple, they were releasing worship back unto God. And you put word in, what's going to come out? Word. So the, so the more you know the word, the more your worship, is, your worship experience is going to be heightened because you know who Christ is. Okay, so spirit. What does it mean to worship in spirit? This one's a little bit more ambiguous, maybe to some of you. It was to me. <clears throat> Jesus told the woman that pretty soon you're not going to worship there or here. It's not going to be a certain place. The time is coming when you're going to worship in spirit. This is the freedom Christ bought brought bought and brought. this is the freedom that he brought because no longer do we have to go to a temple or go to a priest or go to some place. we have become the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. we have become the tabernacle where he dwells, and so we can worship here at home in the car, wherever we go and I think this is a, this is something that we take for granted, but we didn 't understanding what, what, how it was back then gives me a, a better perspective on actually what Christ did for me. I don't have to make a trek to Jerusalem to go worship anymore. I can do it right here, right now. I think that in itself is pretty awesome. But we as humans are made up of three parts. You guys know this, body, soul, spirit. Body, that's obvious. It's our flesh, organs, heart, all that, you know, this stuff. Outer shell. The soul is our mind, our will, and our, our emotions. It, what, it's what makes you, you. Your personality, your attitudes, your thoughts, your behaviors, that's your soul. It's kind of the intangible you. And then there's a third part, the spirit, and it's every bit as real as, your, as this. You may not be aware of it. You may not see it. In fact, most people never do. Sometimes the Lord pulls the veil back. Uh, in fact, in near-death experiences, people have, have come back from the dead and said that they've seen their body lifeless. They've heard the conversations in the room. They were ab- able to accurately tell all their family members, what happened after they were died, and they were legally dead, pronounced dead, no heartbeat. That was their spirit. They became aware of their spirit in death, and and their spirit was alive and active, and they were aware of everything. So that's your spirit, and it's it's operating 24-7. In fact, I believe that's in our night seasons when we dream. I believe it's our spirit that actually is the one actively communicating. So anyway, (laughs) uh, the word for spirit... And it didn't, didn't, I looked it up in this passage. It doesn't matter whether whether it's talking about man's spirit or it's talking about God's spirit. It was the same word, and it's pneuma, which literally means air or breath, but figuratively means your spirit. And um, let me read Job's 32.8 real quick. It is the spirit in a person, the breath of the Almighty that gives them understanding. And considering that we are made in his image, and not just this, our spirit is made in his image too, and God is light. So we are, we are literally DNA copies, spirit to spirit, of who our father is. And if you read in John 16, 13, it says, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So here Jesus is telling, telling us exactly what the Holy Spirit, one of, the, one of his functions in our life, to guide us in the truth. He doesn't speak on his own authority, but what he hears, he tells you. How does the Spirit communicate with us? I think Romans 18, 14 through 16, and I'll just read uh, part of it. Uh, I think this tells us how the Spirit communicates to us. And we, by him, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Deep crying out to deep, the groanings of the Spirit. I believe that, that the communication that God has with us is a spirit-to-spirit thing.
1: <clears throat>
0: and so when it talks about worshiping in spirit and in truth, I think there's a key to understanding what that means. And I believe that that key is intimacy. Intim- the more we are more intimate with, with Jesus, the more we know him, and I, and I mean through worship, I mean through, through prayer, through fasting, through those disciplines, our spirit becomes alive. And pretty soon, we are operating in the rhema word of God along with the Logos word of God. And rhema simply means an utterance or something being said. It is the revelation of the Holy Spirit into our spirits beyond and in in relation to what the word is saying. It brings revelation to the word. It brings guidance. It brings truth. So it's that spirit-to-spirit thing that really guides us and communicates us to us. So going back to the example of the girl, I can't truly get to know her if I'm just looking at her profile on eHarmony or something, or if I'm just hearing about her. If I hear all these wonderful things about her, but I never meet her, I never, get to, I never really get to experience those things. I never have a chance to really fall in love unless I actually meet her and I spend time with her. So when I, if I meet this person, I get to go from this level... Of of knowing to this level, a deeper layer, a deeper richness of understanding. Uh, yeah, I heard she had a great personality, but now I get to really know about this personality. You, you girls can flip it around, but um, I just I just think that that spirit spirit thing is the key to that is intimacy with the Holy Spirit. So if we have to do a if this spirit and truth thing, um. Where does that leave room for the flesh? And how does that work with my mind? And all those other things. Um, does that mean that worship, worshiping with emotions is wrong? I gotta, is worshiping with emotions wrong? You guys are smart. Exactly. We were, Jesus told us to worship God with all our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. I've heard this argument against churches that you're just stirring up emotions. You're just, you know, working up emotions. Awesome. Good. Because you know what? We were created for worship. God gave us our emotions. Did he just give them to us to love a girl or a guy? Did he just give it to us for romantic human relationships? I think not. I I mean, think about how crazy we get when we first fall in love with somebody, you know, singing out in front of their window at 2 in the morning, you know, talking till 5 a.m. We do crazy things because we are are in love. How much more for our creator should our emotions be invoked? Should we use them for God? In fact, the word for soul in that scripture, body, soul, spirit, our body, soul, strength, heart, is suke, and it also means air or spirit. Um, The difference between suke and pneuma is suke is part, it's, it's mortal. And pneuma is immortal. So there is a distinction, but it is, it's the same part of us. It's kind of that same breath and that same spirit of God in us. So I believe that because we're not aware of our spirit all the time, that the place, if, if, our spirit, if we're not aware of our spirit, and he's doing a dance right now or, or doing some warfare, we, I mean, we, we have no clue, right? Um, and God is speaking to our spirit, then how do we know what he's saying? how to, it's got to land somewhere if, in order for us to hear his voice, right? It's, so it's the mind, it's, it's the overflow, it's the spillover, if you will, of the spirit into the soul is where we begin to hear God. I'll prove it to you. In 1 Chronicles 28.12, it says, He gave him, being David, the plans of all that the spirit had put in his mind for the courts of the temple of the Lord and all the surrounding rooms. And then it goes on in verse 19, it says, all this, David said, I have in writing as a result of the Lord's hand on me. and He enabled me to understand all the details of this plan. Who does that? The Holy Spirit. And yet, it was a spirit-to-spirit communication, but he got it here. And that's a lot of times how even prophetic works. Like I, I when I first started to understand the prophetic, I thought that my thoughts were my thoughts and... That's it. They weren't prophetic, and then I and then I started realizing, oh wait, some of those are God, and uh, began to just step out in faith. And, and what do you know? Got some right. Uh, so the Lord definitely speaks through our spirit, but it lands in our soul. Okay. So one of the other questions I've heard is, what if I'm just worshiping the flesh? How do I know? You probably will at points. You know what? It's all right. It's all right because, I, like I said, it's an overflow the point of every the point of what i'm saying tonight is that uh we don't need to dissect everything we do flesh is the spirit is you know we've got we've got to just go after god with intimacy and just like that relationship if i fall in love with somebody and i love them i'm going to know and it, and the, my love is i'm not going to have to work it up it's not going to be a flesh thing if i'm poorly in love it's just going to come out because it's it's just an overflow so don't worry about that. Just go after the Lord. <clears throat> okay, so that's spirit and truth. Now, here's my tips, Jared's tips, to be in it to win it. <coughs> These are just some of the things that I have done. These are some practical things. I'm not, I, I'm not talking about fasting, praying, you know, reading the Word. Those are all valid things, and we've already talked about them. These are just some things that help me. So I'm going to throw it out to you. And like I said, you guys are probably the last group of people that need this, but maybe some of you will appreciate it. Okay, so number one, prepare your heart, repent. The end is near. Um, First, we have to remember that worship is more than just a song or a service. It starts with our obedience to the Lord. Jesus said of the Pharisees in Mark 7, 6 through 8, I'm gonna read it. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commandments of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. There Jesus goes again talking about traditions. It must be pretty important. That, I, it's, it's following the Spirit is what breaks us out of tradition. Doing something different, maybe something we've never done before, that shatters tradition. But it says their worship was in vain because of their hearts, the state of their hearts. Now I don't, I don't think this means that you sin one time and God doesn't hear you. Um, but what I think He was talking about was a very disingenuous worship that had no, um, no intimacy a part of it. In fact, it was it was very dead because they were. It said they had let go of the commandments; they weren't even following God anymore. They weren't living in obedience. And what we what, like what we said earlier, obedience is is worship. And so. Some of the times when we, when we sin and we come into worship, we, have, um, we just have this shame thing hanging over us, you know, and we come in and we feel like we're not worthy enough for God. God is not going to hear me now. I've, I've really screwed up and um, I can't worship. When in reality, that's the one thing that's going to open your heart to the Lord. So one of the things that I think you need to remember is, first of all, you're not worthy enough you're not worthy enough, It's only through Christ and his blood that made us worthy. Your sin doesn't disqualify you any more than your good works qualify you. Second, if you have sinned and if you have messed up, repent, just, just ask the Lord to forgive you. Get that washing, sin, sin and shame, takes our, it, it does this, it turns our gaze downwards and away from God repentance allows us to kind of turn back up to the Lord, to where where that shame is gone and that guilt is gone. I think it's a good idea to shower every day. Those of you that disagree, I smell you. Chris Wagner, I'm calling out, calling you out. I told him I would. He's with the children. We prearranged that. Anyway, I think in the same way, it's good for us just to ask the Lord to wash us and cleanse us. So that's step one. Coming into worship, just repent. Just ask the Lord to wash you and cleanse you. Number two, persistence pays off. Sometimes it has nothing to do with sin. Sometimes you come in, you've had a long day, you've had a hard day. I don't have kids, but if I did, they'd probably be hanging all over and, you know, cleaning and, you know, just all that stuff that just wears on you and and makes you distracted and, and you get apathetic and... I don't feel like worship. I don't want to worship. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's the same way if we go back to the relationship thing. The honeymoon period's great. I'm not married. I've heard. Uh, <laughs> but I've heard, you know, that that you're in love thing is is wonderful, and you talk till five in the morning, and then, you know, a couple years later, it's just not in the same way. Um, you have seasons, I've heard, you know, ups and downs. And, but you got to... Uh, got to work at it, right? Every relationship, marriage, friendship, whatever, you have to work at it. You have to continue to love, 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 love. And it's the same way with the Lord. You know, sometimes you will come in here apathetic, and sometimes you will not feel like it. I will be totally honest with you, there are so many times when I just don't feel like it. I mean, even tonight coming in, it took me a little, it took me a little time to kind of, flesh was probably a little bigger than the spirit was, and I had to just Flesh down until the spirit could rise up, and man, once it did, I was boom, it was there. <clears throat> and I think it's important to know that we all struggle with this. It's kind of like you know the elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about. If if you know that this this is something we all struggle with, it almost gives you a, feel, a sense of freedom. Like, uh, okay, I, this is just, there's not something just wrong with me. Um, this is normal. And so I just want to encourage you that if you feel that way, if you come into a worship service or even at your house and you're just not feeling it, push through it. Be persistent. Don't let the enemy win. You have the choice. All right, number three, focus Daniel-san. Yes, I did write Daniel-san on the paper. The first, the first focus I want to talk about is misdirected focus. If you want to get that video ready. Sometimes we can get really self-focused, um, and what I mean is like we are too worried about what other people think and sometimes we're too worried about what other people think. <laughs> and there's two, there's two ways we do this. Uh, the first one is, you guys look stupid up here. I am not doing that. Um, and it's, so it's that distance thing of fear. I don't want to look stupid. And then the second way we misdirect our focus is, uh, is, is being uh, saying, like, um, oh, everybody's dancing. I, I don't want people to think I'm not spiritual enough. We get so self-focused about trying to look good that, that we, it just takes us out of the game. So um, i got a little video that will kind of exemplify some of the things I'm talking about here.
1: Worship, an essential part of any Pentecostal church service. It is a participatory activity by nature, but it is not uncommon for some members of a given congregation to feel uncertain about how to engage in worship appropriately. This instructional film will attempt to provide some clear guidelines for those of you who feel this way. Clapping. Since most worship sets begin with upbeat songs, clapping along with the fast songs can serve as an easy and effective way to loosen up. But when attempting to do this, you may find yourself wondering, what beats should I clap on? <laughs> Don't worry. This tends to puzzle the better part of most suburban congregations. Clapping on beat is really quite simple. In 4-4 time, you clap on beats two and four. In cut time, or 2-4, you clap on beat two, not one. On an up-tempo 6 8 feel, clap on beat four. If the song is in three-quarter time, there's typically no need to clap. Just watch the drummer's left hand. When he hits the snare, you should clap. Dancing. There may be times during your worship experience that you feel the need to express yourself physically, but are unsure of how to do so appropriately. This is totally normal. Just remember that odds are no one around you knows how to dance either. The easiest way is to jump up and down to the rhythm of the song. To call this dancing is really quite generous, as casual observers would likely call it hopping in place. But it works for most people. If jumping in church is too far out of your comfort zone, some safer alternatives include the knee bender, heel popper, or stationary march. Remember, the dancing is only acceptable on fast songs. Breaking into a jig during a slow song will likely make you appear insane. Hand raising. Many people raise their hands during worship as an act of surrender, but one should be careful to do so in a considerate manner. Ask yourself these questions. Am I wearing deodorant? If the answer is no, don't just go raising your hands as high as you can as this could be a distraction to your neighbor. Instead, employ the half-mast method and spare your friends the agony. How much room do I have? Before you throw your hands in the air and wave them like you just don't care, take a quick glance around you to check for available space. Nothing can ruin a worship experience faster than having your eyeball gouged out by an inconsiderate worshiper. Sincerity. Anyone can simply sing, dance, and clap their hands. But how do you show God that you are sincere in your efforts? Simple. You must use appropriate facial expressions at all times. This is usually accomplished by pretending to be in varying amounts of discomfort. Let's try it. Raise your hands to just above the shoulders. Now imagine you're passing a kidney stone. Nicely done. Very authentic looking. Also, remember to close your eyes. You can't communicate with the Lord with your eyes open. That's a rule. If you simply must have them open, at least look up at the ceiling or something. It makes you appear more spiritual. Now you possess all of the tools necessary to worship God effectively, or to at least appear so.
0: This is obviously satire, and it's a joke, but um, I think it kind of illustrates sometimes what we really think, So, like, oh, if I do this, this is going to look good, you know. We really sometimes, we're almost putting on a show sometimes, and I obviously, none of these expressions are wrong. In fact, they're all biblical expressions, um, so don't, anybody, send me a nasty email. Um <laughs> My favorite is the looks of discomfort and pain. <laughs> sometimes it looks that way. Um, anyway, sometimes we get just caught up in, in, I should be doing what those people are doing, or my worship doesn't look like that, and so I, I feel like I'm inferior, or I feel like I don't love God as much as they do because I'm not jumping, because I'm not doing the hop. Um, just, you've got to pull back that focus on on everybody else, what everybody else is thinking, and you've got to just focus on the Lord and, and not worry about any of that other stuff. Um, how, can you, how can you really value God properly when you've got too much value placed in yourself? So the other part of, that unf- was misdirected focus. The other part is just being simply unfocused. Um, I've noticed myself sometimes just going through the motions, kind of like some of that video talked about I'm probably not the only one. You know, I've got my hands raised. I'm doing, the, I'm doing the face. I've got my eyes closed. I'm singing the words, Jesus, Jesus. And I'm thinking about, oh, I've got to write a check for this. And, uh, what am I going to have for dinner? I'm kind of getting hungry. And Oh, crap, I'm supposed to be worshiping. Jesus, Jesus. I mean, let's be real here. How many have done that? Right? Right? So um, I really want my heart to be in it. To win it, I really want to be focused. I want my mind to be disciplined, and and, um, sometimes it just takes a step back. And this is what I do sometimes. Literally, when I catch myself doing that, sometimes I will just take a step back. I'll stop this, and I'll just, I'll just think about the goodness of the Lord, all the things that You've done for me, why You love me. Kind of just focus on on the the times when He's been faithful in my life, and and even on the Word, and it really just has this way of just reshifting my focus going, oh, you're good, Lord. You're good. I want to worship you. And it really works. Um, But sometimes we just need to kind of recapture that authenticity. Let me give you an example of focus in the natural. If I had a vault that was 200 feet thick of steel, you know what the only thing in the world that could cut through it would be? Light. Light. This right here. It's just focused, 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 focused. So narrow and so tightly and so sharply that it has the power to cut through steel. Matter of fact, the military is close to perfecting a laser. that can cut through 2,000 feet of steel in one second. <clears throat> and if you remember back what I said earlier, we are just copies of our, of our Father, are we not? God is light. Our spirits, I believe, are light. In fact, science is starting to realize that we are just light, Our blood is just congealed light. So imagine what would happen if we could really discipline our minds and sharpen that focus. You know, sometimes we feel like there is a steel wall or ceiling between us and God that we're just, we can't break through. I believe sometimes it just requires that that focus to have that disciplined mind that we will actually cut through and break through the heavens. Now think about what would happen if we all did that together, Two thousand feet. Shoot. See, we—if the spirit is the place of communication and it's where we're led, our soul is the gate. Our soul is what, where we have the power of choice to either choose to stay in self pity or shame or distraction or whatever it is. We have the power of choice there, or we can choose to really focus in like a laser and break through and bust through. It's our choice. My last point, my last tip is make it up. Sing your own song. One of the things that really helps me in, in times of worship when I feel like I'm, I'm drifting is I'll just make up my own song. Uh, the worship band could be going off singing this, the latest Chris Tomlin, but uh, they're just... they're just kidding. <laughs> the latest Bethel song... They're just going after it. But sometimes I just, need, I just need to tell Jesus what I think about him and, and how much I love him and what he's done for me. And you know what? In Revelation, you find that quite often. They sang a new song. And when you think about it, let's go back to our, our, our example of what human relationships are like. Ladies, would you rather have your boyfriend, fiance, husband, would you rather have him recite you a poem that somebody else wrote, or would you rather have him write you a poem and re- recite it? poem about your experiences that's specific and unique to to what the things that are that you have done, that's just all about your relationship, which one is going to have the most impact and the most depth? They're both romantic. They're both intimate. But which one's going to impress you the most? Come on. The one he writes. So um, sometimes I, I just really think the Lord is blessed by our hearts when we just sing to him a new song. Lord, you're good. Worthy, I love you. Look what you did last week. That was awesome. Um, in fact, and you, you've, you've probably heard me say this before, I'm gonna say it again. Um, one of the words, Hebrew words for worship, is tehilah, and it refers to the spontaneous praise or the new song. One way to remember this is it rhymes with tequila, and that makes you say spontaneous things. <laughs> if you, in Psalms 22.3, it says, But you are holy, O you who dwell or inhabit inhabit the praises of the people. That word for praise is tehillah, the spontaneous. God inhabits the only place where God says he inhabits the praise. He inhabits the tehillah, the spontaneous praise that's just made up from your heart. That makes him so happy that he wants to come in and just dwell there. There was a bunch of that going on tonight, and it was awesome. Um, I think that's partly due to because he's a creator, and he wants us to be creative. I'll tell you one thing. You cannot be disengaged and sing your own song to the Lord. You have got to engage this thing. So It's one way that you can just refocus, resharpen the mind, is just begin to sing a new song that's totally your own to the Lord. I'm going to close with this worship team if you want to come up. Um, I saw this in a powerful way. I was a missionary in Jamaica I know poor me, uh, for a year in Kingston, which is actually not the nice part of Jamaica. It's considered to be the armpit of the Caribbean. But um, I, was, I was a missionary there. I worked with a drug rehab called Teen Challenge. Um, and among many of my duties there, it was a lot like Haas. We wore a lot of hats. Um, I was the worship leader and choir leader, which I'm not a choir director, but um, while I was there, God began to teach me about worship. And keep in mind, I had crack addicts, murderers, rapists, the, the low of the low, people that had have thrown, have thrown away everything, people that had, had alienated themselves from friends, from family. I mean, these were not your popular people. They would show up most of the time in rags at the gate, hungry, hadn't eaten for weeks, begging to come in. I'll do anything thing to change my life so i remember as the lord began to take me on this journey of worship i remember being uh, in one of our devotions in the morning and i've got these men you know 15 men and the lord had really begun teaching me this was before jason upton and ihop and all that stuff i didn't know anything about spontaneous worship i didn't know anything about prophetic worship Uh, but i knew there had to be more than just a song and just singing a song i knew there had to be more So I began to kind of experiment with these guys, and I saw these men who were the low of the low, crack addicts, murderers. I saw them on their knees crying out to God, and I would just encourage them to to sing their own heart to the Lord, crying out to God, God, you're so good, you're holy, God, you're worthy, and I'd see tears streaming down their face. These men that had no value found value in crying out to the Lord. As they valued their creator, God began to place value in them. And I think that's one of the most powerful testimonies I have of why we worship and why we can even sing our own song to the Lord. So tonight, they're going to play a couple of songs here. Um, Maybe you you guys are really good worshipers. This house, one thing I love about this house, I love leading worship here because you guys are so ready to just Jump on in, but maybe some, maybe somebody in this room, one of these tips is going to help you. Um, and so let's just let's just spend some time, a little bit more time worshiping tonight, really just valuing God. You know, a hungry person wants the bread. If you're full, and somebody offers you bread, no, it's right, I'm good. But if you're hungry, you're going to grab it. And I think that to really. Grab on to this thing of worship. We've got to be hungry. We've got to be desperate. We've got to want more of who he is. Be hungry tonight. Be hungry as he offers you that bread. Be that starving uh, person that just grabs it and says, yes, Lord. Thank you. I'll, I'll have more. Yes, I'll have seconds tonight. So let's just worship him. If you need prayer, you can come up to the front. If you need prayer for healing or anything else, again, there's going to be prophecy teams in the back. So if you need a prophetic word, you can go to the back. But we're just going to worship for a little bit and love on him. You're dismissed to go. if few- you.